0: Welcome to Scope of Practice, a podcast that opens a window for an inside look into different practice groups and the lives of attorneys in those groups here at Ropes & Gray. As you know by now, I'm Yoni Levy, an associate in our asset management group based in Boston. In this episode, I'm joined by two guests, Molly Moore and Jeremy Levo in our asset management group based out of DC and Chicago, respectively. Thanks for joining us. Um, maybe you could we could start with uh, explaining Jeremy a bit about your practice, and then you could hand it over to Molly to just explain to us sort of where you fit within the asset management group for context. Uh, on prior episodes, we've talked to members of our registered funds group and our private funds group. Um, and you know, people, people in between, but I don't think we've quite hit your, your two, uh, practice areas. So I think this is an interesting opportunity for us. Sure. the yeah happy to, to talk a little bit about my practice.
1: So um, I practice in our derivatives and commodities specialty group within the asset management practice. Basically, what, what I do focuses on the use of derivatives uh, by our asset management clients and the uh, regulatory implications that, that come with that. So my engagement with clients begins with the launch of a product, um, and continues through uh, the, the life of the product. The um, if our clients are trading commodity interests, these are derivatives that are regulated by the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, there are a whole host of regulatory implications that, that go along with that, um, and so you know I will assist our our corporate team in connection with the structuring of, of uh, fund products uh, to ensure that they comply with. Uh, the relevant regulations, and then um, I'll assist our clients uh, when they have issues uh, in connection with the trading of those products. So, you know, it can be uh, regulatory inquiries, um, interacting with uh, derivatives exchanges, interacting with the government, um, things like that. So, you know, I'll I'll assist our clients in responding to just sort of ordinary course uh, inquiries, uh, but I'll also help with, uh, you know, full-blown enforcement actions. So, yeah, it's, it, that, that's sort of my, my practice at a, at a very, very high level. And uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to Molly so she can talk about what she does.
2: Great. Thanks, Jeremy. So, I uh, also practice in our derivatives and commodities specialty group within our asset management practice. Um, I actually started out in our investment management practice, now our registered funds practice, which um, focuses on. Um, serving all of our registered mutual fund clients. I did that for a number of years and then um, slowly started picking up more and more projects with our derivatives group. Um, my practice focuses on advising registered funds, private funds, hedge funds, college and university endowments, corporations, um, private equity funds, basically the full gamut of clients um, within our asset management practice on issues related to their use of derivatives. So there are a couple of sort of main parts of my practice. Um, The first is negotiation of contracts. So the clients have to enter into contracts uh, governing their derivative transactions, and we spend a lot of time advising clients on those negotiations. And then the other part of it is the regulatory work. So when the Dodd-Frank Act was passed in 2010, um, created a whole new framework of regulation of derivatives and um, that our clients have to comply with. And so we have spent the last 11 years um, helping our clients through the implementation of the Dodd-Frank Act and regulations that have been um, created under the Dodd-Frank Act. Um, And that is basically about half of my time is, is working on that with clients.
0: Thanks for that. I think it would be helpful if you don't mind, if you could maybe contrast your practices from each other uh, I think a large part of the goal of this podcast series is to help uh, law students distinguish between the various groups, and I know that your both of your practices, Jeremy and Molly, overlap quite a lot, but that there's a distinction between them, and I, I wonder if you could speak to that a bit, Molly.
2: Sure. So my practice, again, is focused a lot on negotiation of documentation And the regulatory aspect of the work is really dealing with regulations that um, impose requirements on and related to the use of derivatives by our clients. So, for example, there are new requirements that require clients to um, post margin when they're entering into over-the-counter swaps and other derivatives. And so we've helped them sort of implement those regulations. So, Jeremy, why don't I just turn it over to you?
1: There's so much overlap between what we do, but I think, you know, Molly, your, your practice really focuses on the derivatives contracts themselves and the regulatory obligations that, that arise in connection with the trading of those contracts by the, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the funds and accounts, like, uh, you know, the actual counterparties to the contracts, whereas, like, my practice really focuses on, like, the sponsors who, um, who trade the, the contracts for their, their funds. So my practice really focuses on fund sponsors who use derivatives uh, within their products. And so the bulk of my time is spent um, looking at the regulations um, that apply to what's known as a commodity pool operator and commodity trading advisor. Um, And so while the the regulatory body that, that, that governs most of what we do is the same, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, I look at a different part of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission regulations than, than Molly necessarily does. Um, mine, uh, my practice really focuses on, on part four uh, of the CFTC's rules. With that said, our practices overlap on a regular basis. I mean, there, there's a reason why we're still within the, the same sort of specialty group. Um, you know, For a significant portion of, of my time at Robes and Gray, um, I actually did a lot of work on the documentation of over-the-counter derivatives and and, and things like that. Um, And so, you know, the the two practices, I I don't like to think of them as truly distinct, but but rather complementary.
0: That's helpful. And I, I think you make a good point about you being in the same subgroup. You know, there's also the fact that you're in the same umbrella group as the private funds lawyers, such as myself and the registered funds lawyers, and I think that's for, for good reason in that there the asset managers that we work with as you know, hedge fund managers or private equity fund managers have to worry about compliance with these rules to the extent that they are going to you know, engage in derivatives and commodities trading or even if they're not going to, right, to make sure that they're complying with the rules uh, applicable. And, and in, in that way, I've been fortunate enough to interact with you uh, in a work context but maybe you could give us a little bit more insight into how you think your practice area may be different from, aside from obviously the content of it, focusing on derivatives as opposed to, you know, general fund offerings, but how you think the types of tasks that you're doing and the, the focus is maybe a little different from the rest of asset management. So
1: Certainly. So my practice is high volume. I'm dealing with hundreds of clients a year, and so I, while, of course, I do have clients that I, I work with more frequently than others, uh, I don't find myself you know, spending a significant amounts of time on, on you know, one client you know, month after month after month. So I've had the opportunity, the really fortunate opportunity to, to interact with you know, everyone across the uh, asset management practice. But that's just due to the nature of, of what I do. You know, some of our clients use derivatives more heavily than others, and those who do interact with me a little bit more. <laughs> but those who, you know, only use derivatives occasionally, um, you know, such as you know, a lot of our private equity clients who who only use derivatives for, for hedging purposes, I don't work with them as frequently because you know they don't they're not subject to as many many regulations as uh, some of our other clients are. Molly, how how does your practice fit within this?
2: Yeah, that's similar. So I, And this is actually one of the things I love the most about um, my practice is that I get to work with all different types of clients. So whereas, you know, if you are a dedicated registered funds associate, you're really working with, you know, one type of client all the time, obviously on lots of different interesting projects, but it's one type of client. Whereas in um, our derivatives practice, you know, we work with all different types of clients. Um, So, you know, from you know, funds to, you know, tax exempt organizations, um, corporations, you sort of name it, it really runs the gamut. And I really like that aspect of my practice, because not only am I, you know, sort of interacting with all different types of organizations, but I've had the opportunity to learn um, about, you know, all of those different areas. So, um, that's one way, actually, that my you know, first years at the firm, where I focused on registered funds work, has been really beneficial in this practice, because there are a number of issues that come up in connection with our negotiation of derivatives documentation and dealing with derivatives regulations that have sort of overlaps or create problems or frictions with regulations that apply to registered fund entities. Um, so... Um, I get to sort of apply that knowledge even now that I'm not focused on registered fund work. I get to apply all that knowledge to the derivatives work I do. Um, I work with a number of college and university endowments. So I've learned um, a little bit about, um, you know, tax issues that tax expense organizations have to think about when they're making investments. Um, You know, we might work with the pension plan and have to think about ERISA issues. And so it's, Sort of keeps it really interesting. There's a lot of variety in what I do, a lot of different types of clients. Um, and I think that's somewhat unique um, in the derivatives practice that, that we get to touch so many different kinds of clients on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. and just to, to add to that, I, I think that, that it's really special that, that Robes and Gray has a structure like this because you know, we, work, we are derivatives attorneys within the asset management practice itself. And so, you know, derivatives are complex financial instruments, right? So I think it's a real value add for our clients that we can come in and talk about these products. We can talk about them fluently. Um, And in in my case, you know, being focused on CPOs and CTAs, that is what I do day in and day out, right? So I'm talking to the regulators all the time. And so it's very rare that we're going to come across an issue that we haven't already encountered before. Or if it is a novel issue, we do have, we have a, uh, a, a great wealth of knowledge to, um, you know, analyze this, this new issue from. Um, and, and so I think that that's a real benefit to our clients. And it makes for a really interesting day. So even though, yes, I do do something that is quite narrow, every day is different. Every client is coming to us with, with something that is, a, you know, novel. And, and, you know, these are Derivatives contracts, right? They're highly complex financial instruments, and, and so the things that they're t- that they're trading, that the what they're doing is is very complex and challenging. Uh, but the fact that we're in this day in and day out uh, means that we're really able to, um, you know, come with a, a with a very informed perspective, you know, with respect to these these issues that that, that arise.
0: So you're sort of narrowly specialized, but then you apply that specialty across a wide band of situations and experiences. So that's pretty interesting. And in in the answers from the two of you, I heard mention of an enforcement practice that's sort of litigation-like, right, a regulatory practice, looking through the regulations and understanding sort of how to apply the law, and then obviously negotiating of contracts. And so you get sort of three very different practice types all sort of situated within your practice group, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly
1: right. And I think that each component of, the, of, of that practice informs the other. And so, you know, my experience interacting with the regulators is, well, th- those interactions are informed by my experience in the transactional space, which admittedly, I, I, you know, I'm less involved in now. But, you know, when I'm able to, when I'm talking to the regulators about what our clients are, are you know, doing I have found that it's very helpful that I'm able to explain how these transactions work. Um, And and so they, they appear to be less foreign. And so we're able to have a very informed dialogue that way. And then my conversations with the regulars then in turn uh, inform what we're putting in in contracts and and what we're doing from a fund structuring perspective and you know how I'm advising clients to operate their business going forward because I know what the regulators are anticipating and I know the client the the questions they've asked of other clients and so I'm able to pass those uh, you know that experience on on onto others.
0: yeah, that's great and I, I really like the point you raised, which has actually popped up in a few of the prior episodes about the depth of our bench, so to speak, in terms of having really deep expertise across a very wide range of topics. And so in that way, being able to really be a full service firm for our clients. But also what that means is that, you know, clients of every firm are going to have these questions and these issues, right? And the question for you as an associate or an attorney in a firm is, you know, are you left to sort of figure everything out on your own, or is there someone who can sort of lend you their ear? Um, And so, you know, for example, Jeremy and I have had many conversations about, you know, uh, fund clients of mine that are located in other countries who have sort of atypical structures from a U.S. perspective. And rather than me trying to figure out on my own how I would apply the CFTC rules to those settings, right, I can just give Jeremy a call and say, hey, You know this is the structure can we talk through how it works and i've definitely learned and and grown a ton from those conversations but it's not like i'm left to sort of paddle on my own and, and figure that out right there's a very uh wide and deep bench of folks who can sort of guide you and push you in the right direction so i think maybe we should take a step back uh and maybe just briefly explain what a derivative and a commodity is because i realized we jumped right into The meat of the discussion.
2: Sure, I'm happy to tackle that one. So, I would say at the sort of very basic level, a a derivative is a financial instrument, um, the value of which is derived from something else. So, that's where the name comes from. So, for example, you know, we may have a client that is interested in taking a position in a stock. And they could either go out and buy that stock and hold it, and hopefully benefit from any appreciation in the price of that stock over the time that they hold it. But it's expensive um, to buy a stock that way because you have to go normally and you know sort of pay you know the full price of that stock and then you own it. Um, clients alternatively can um, enter into what's called a swap, um, and that's what we do is negotiate um, the documentation that they might use to trade a swap, and so. Um, They can enter into a swap with a counterparty um, where they have to pay much less money and can still um, receive from the counterparty to the swap, uh, you know, for example, any appreciation in the value of the stock. And then they may have to pay the counterparty if the value of that stock goes down. So it's a much less expensive way um, to, you know, take a position in a stock that they're interested in. And that's obviously just one example. Um, clients can enter into swaps or other types of derivatives that have all sorts of underlying um, you know uh, securities, indices, interest rates, um, all kinds of things, you know even commodities and maybe I'll turn it over to Jeremy to talk a little bit about um, you know futures and commodity derivatives.
0: Yeah.
1: so a commodity as defined by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission uh, and Congress, actually, through the, the Commodity Exchange Act, um, is essentially anything on which there is a futures contract presently or may in the future be a futures contract, except onions, motion picture, box office receipts, and there may be something else. Uh, <laughs> sorry, so onions? Onions. That is correct. Onions. Yes.
0: Was yeah. that just a car as a lobbying carve out. Or what's the deal uh,
1: there? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, very it, it, interesting story there. Um, the motion picture box office receipts is the direct result of, uh, the MPAA, um, lobbying Congress to, to get that carved out of the definition commodity because there were actually futures that were listed on, uh, box office receipts and, Hollywood did not like that, uh, <laughs> so they lobbied Congress to carve out uh, motion picture box office receipts from,
0: from the definition of commodity. So you can bet on, on, like, you can bet on orange juice, but not on Tom Cruise?
1: No, that's exactly right. That that is exactly right. And, and the the onion thing came about because a guy managed to buy up pretty much all the onions in in the United States. It, it was it was ridiculous. This was you know years ago that he, that he did it. Um, so <laughs> anyway, the, the definition of commodity though is is very very broad. Um, but my practice does not focus on the trading of commodities. It, has, it focuses on the trading of commodity interests, which are derivatives on commodities. <laughs> so, you know, things that have been deemed to be commodities include uh, Bitcoin, um, LIBOR, like very, very random things that you would not think of as a traditional commodity. They, they, you know, it goes far beyond corn. Yeah, that's one of the the really important distinguishing issues within my practices is whether something is a commodity or it's a commodity interest. And if it's a commodity interest, then uh, the CFTC has the regulatory jurisdiction over that product. And um, then it gets into my world. If it's simply a commodity, uh, the CFTC has enforcement authority, but not regulatory authority. So what that means is the CFTC can bring an action for manipulation of LIBOR. They've done that in the past. They can bring uh, an action for fraud in connection with cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin. They have done that before. But the trading of you know, cryptocurrencies itself doesn't bring an asset manager within the jurisdiction of the CFTC. If, however, they're trading um, you know, Bitcoin futures or you know, over-the-counter options on Ether, those types of things, then they're brought into uh, my my world, the uh, you know CFTC Part Four uh, jurisdiction. So that's
0: uh, that's it's
1: <laughs>
0: Uh Yeah, I, I would say that that a commodity is like an onion in that it has many layers, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's actually not like an onion specifically.
1: So the the other derivative that, that we deal with on a regular basis are, are are futures contracts and options on futures contracts. So futures contracts are standardized derivatives um, in that these are contracts, uh, the value of which is derived from the value of whatever the reference asset is, wherever the reference entity is, that, that's the basis for that contract. Futures contracts are listed on exchanges. Um, so for example, here in Chicago, we've got the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, right? And the, each exchange has rules, that all market participants have to abide by. Um, so exchanges are, are interesting in that they are um, they're commercial entities in that they're out there trying to encourage people to trade on the platform, but they also have an enforcement wing. <laughs> so they can they can also sue you. They can bring an enforcement action. And what's really interesting is that an exchange uh, enforcement action can actually lead to uh, an action being brought by the, the government. So you know the, the CFTC can can. Pile onto an exchange enforcement action. There are actually people in jail right now for violations of the Commodity Exchange Act, and those those prosecutions started with an an investigation by the CME. So these exchanges have this really interesting sort of hybrid function, and you know that that's a world
0: that that I live in um, on on a daily basis. Really interesting. And our currency hedging transactions typically. Uh, futures trades, or how does that work?
1: You, usually, no. Um, I mean, they can be. There, there are there are FX futures contracts. What we often see, though, are um, over the counter FX hedges. And the reason is that you can more precisely mitigate your risk through a uh, an over the counter contract. By by that, I mean you're able to define when that exchange of currencies will occur. Um, you're able to specify the exact amount, um, you know, all, all, of, all of those things that make an over-the-counter derivative more appealing than your standardized futures contract. So with a, with a futures contract, you don't have the right to negotiate the terms of the contract. It will say, you give me $100, you're going to get 80 euro back on you know, X date in the future. Um, that's it, right? And then you buy however many of those contracts that you want. Whereas with an over-the-counter contract, you can negotiate each of those terms. And so you can line it up with whatever deal it is that that you have. Or you can make that contract contingent upon the execution of the deal. Um, Whereas that's not the case with with a futures contract. Futures contract, you're obligated to perform. And the way that you get out of that performance is by what we call closing out the contract or
0: or entering into uh, an offsetting contract. I think you both spoke quite passionately about your practice areas and it's clear that you quite like what you do. Uh, Could you give us a brief uh, explanation of sort of how you got into this practice space? Did you have any prior experience in the area um, or did you just sort of uh, happen into it and what was your experience in any of the other groups that you may have worked at and that attracted you to sort of stick in this line of work? Uh, Molly, I know you mentioned you started in uh, in our investment management group, so maybe I can start with you.
2: Sure. So, you know, when I came to Rope, there were a couple things that I had in mind. I, I had really no relevant background. Um, I was a history major in college and had worked in public relations for four years before I went to law school. And um, when I was in law school, I took a class on securities law and really, really liked it a lot. It just sort of Conflict, um, in my brain, and I had a really great professor. I found it really interesting and challenging, um, and so I, I had a feeling that I, I might want to do something related to securities law, which is a large part of why I, you know, decided to focus on investment management um, during my initial time at the firm. Um, I also was really interested and and. Drawn to ropes because ropes historically has done a lot of work with colleges and universities, um, and that was just something a, a, a sort of group of clients that I was really interested in working with. And so, uh, as my practice started to shift over to derivatives, part of the reason was that I could, you know, do work not only with registered funds but also start to do work with large college and university endowments um, and help them with all aspects of their investment programs. And so Um, Those two interests are sort of how I um, ended up, you know, going into investment management and then eventually, you know, shifting my practice over to um, derivatives. But, you know, coming to Ropes, um, I I was not one of those lucky people who figured out really early on what I wanted to do um, and was able to, you know, come in the door and say that was what I wanted to do. But um, I did have some things in mind that I was interested in and was able to, Sort of turn that into my practice over time.
1: And in contrast, I knew exactly what I wanted to do uh, <laughs> before joining <laughs> Ropes. <laughs> so my interest in derivatives actually started in connection with the financial crisis of 2008. Um, at the time, I was working as a logistic services broker, so I bought and sold the rights to transport goods all over the world. And I saw the freight market absolutely implode in August of 2008 and um then the economy proceeded to simply go go in the tank and so i I left i'd I'd actually intended to go to law school and so um i left that job in, in january 2009 which is when i when i started law school and what i knew is that i wanted to find out more about why the financial crisis happened and what needed to be done to prevent it from happening again in the future um and so While I was in law school, I had the opportunity to go work in the U.S. Senate on the bill that was being drafted, the appropriations bill that was being drafted to fund the CFTC post Dodd-Frank. And so I got a chance to dive into Dodd-Frank before it was even law. And that really got me interested in derivatives regulation. Um, After that, I spent a summer with the CFTC's Division of Enforcement. Um, And then after that, I actually went in-house to a startup exchange that was listing a product, um, that was a response to, to dot frame. And so I actually spent, um, in total two years there because I started while I was in law school. Um, and then I decided that wasn't the best place for me as a young attorney. I thought it'd be much better for me to go to a law firm where right. I could, um, you know, experience a, a diverse uh, set of clients. And so then I came to, to ropes and gray and I've,
0: been here ever since. Wow, I don't think I knew all that background. That's incredible. <laughs> I thought you were joking when you said you knew exactly what you wanted to do when you came in, um, and then I expected you to say when I was when I was a child, my mother used to read me, you know, <laughs> stories about good commodity <laughs> trades that people made. And um, wow, that's that's incredible. Um, did you did you focus your time in law school on courses that were Driving towards this path
1: yeah, to, to the extent possible, um, I also wrote a law review article on, on this. Um, you know at the time when I was in law school there there really weren't courses on derivatives regulation and, and let alone derivatives regulation of, of asset managers there was a broad exemption that asset managers relied on from, from registration with the CFTC so derivatives were largely an unregulated space other than you know the, the futures trading and so the classes that were offered at that time really focused on enforcement action, you know, that, that were brought by the exchanges, you know, the CFTC and occasionally the the department of justice. Um, So the area of law really that I practice in really has changed dramatically while I've been at the firm. And I would say maybe a year before I came over, we started seeing a a massive change and there were some very significant changes uh, to the regulations that swept in a lot of, uh, a lot of our asset management clients, Um, But before that time, there wasn't a whole lot of regulation of of asset managers.
0: Yeah, interesting. And I know Molly mentioned that part of her attraction to ropes in particular was the sort of asset management focus of the firm. Was that a similar thing for you?
1: Yeah, very much so. So when I was at the
0: exchange, we focused mostly
1: on banks, right, And, and the very large, the sell side clients. Um, that Molly talked about earlier that, that we don't represent here at Ropes. And I saw that they have a very transactional relationship in, in the derivatives markets, right? They, they serve as the buyer, seller to, to all these different transactions. What I wanted to do was start to work with people who are actually using these products uh, for other purposes, right? And so I, I saw the impact that, the, that asset managers can have, um, in the marketplace while I was at the exchange. And I realized that that's the space that I really wanted to get into. Um, that's where really interesting things are happening. Not to say that, you know, the banks aren't also doing super interesting stuff, but I really like the idea of being able to work with so many different clients. I mean, that, that's the thing is that, that we have hundreds and hundreds of asset management clients, many of whom are using derivatives um, for all sorts of just super, super interesting things. And so that's one, one of the reasons I, I, I came to to, to ropes because, you know, it just has a phenomenal asset management practice. And,
0: uh, yeah, it, it is far exceeded my expectations <laughs> and those, and those types of clients offer more opportunities for creativity or just more diverse types of transactions than if you were just representing, you know, the, the sell side. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think so. Let's talk a little bit more culturally. What is it about ropes culture that you, that you particularly like? I really like the, um, just the culture as a whole, right? Everybody
1: is very kind here. You know, of course it's big law, right? People work very, very hard. It's, It's a demanding environment. Uh, but everyone across the firm is very respectful and generally very pleasant. Um, and so that makes, uh, that makes what what can be a challenging work environment to to be very, very pleasant.
2: Yeah, and I'll add, you know, this ties into something that we've talked about a little before. Um, It really is a very, you know, just really great culture here at the firm. And and that's something that um, has always been a priority for the firm, even as, you know, we've grown to maintain that culture because it's something that everyone who's here um, really loves about the firm. and, And that's why we have so many great people here. Um, and one of the other aspects of that is that um, people, you know, work really well together across offices and also across practice groups. And so you never find yourself in a situation where, you know, you need help with someone that, you know, you've never met before, or never talked to before, or they're not in your practice group or whatever, and, and they won't, you know, call you back or they won't help you. Like everyone is just willing to help out, you know, no matter how big or small the project. If you need, you know, someone with the expertise that that person happen, has, um, you know, they're always willing to, you know, work together to help figure out the problem for the client. And, and that's one thing that I really love about Ropes. You know, we're, we're not sort of siloed in our office. We're not siloed in our particular practice group. Like we all, you know, just work together to do the best job that we can for our client.
0: So one of the things that is interesting about what you described in your practice is that, you know, it seems because of the narrow focus, even though it's on a broad range of clients, like there might be a lot of background knowledge that a person needs to have that an associate needs to have in order to really dig in and, and provide some real value to uh, commodities practice, a commodities and derivatives practice. So maybe you could talk to us a little bit more about what roles uh, ju- more junior associates can have on the commodities and derivatives teams, what kind of projects they can work on, and, and sort of how they bring value to the table as well.
1: Sure. At, at, absolutely. I'd be happy to answer that. So we, at, at Ropes we have a phenomenal training program. So we, we have lots of training materials that have already been um, prepared. And, and so what I often like to do is provide those materials to uh, new associates at the firm um, as sort of a, a starting point. Um, but quickly from there, then we go into the real projects. And so um, this can happen in, in, in a few different ways in, in, in how we, we engage our junior associates. Um, you know, it can be doing an initial review of offering materials in connection with the, with the fund launch. Um, and, you know, we'll have them take the first pass at marking up the documents. Um, you know, they'll be referencing both the training materials and then also just past precedents as well. And then what I really like to do is, is have the junior associates interact closely with those who were most recently in their position. So, you know, be it, if it's the first year, you know, working close to a second and third years, um, so they can, you know, bounce ideas off of each other and sort of come up with a, you know, a, a great quality work product that then I look at and then, you know, review with, with the team as a whole. Um, so that's with something like, you know, when, when we have a fund launch and we're reviewing fund materials. Uh, other times we'll get uh, questions in from clients, be it our internal clients or, or external clients uh, that require research. And so, you know, when that happens, um, I'll generally meet with my, with my team of, of, uh, of junior associates and discuss what I think that the major issues are, and then just sort of provide some guidance on, you know, what to look for and, and the research that should be done. Um, and then we'll just check in from time to time and, you know, have conversations, make sure that, you know, everybody's on, on the, the, the right track um, and, and kind of go from there. That's how I learned this stuff, and I think that that's how others are are going to learn this, this material too. And that, that is what I find with my team is that you really, well, you know, it's great to learn about it in a classroom setting. I, I really think it's the on-the-job training that's going to, you know, get, get to the point where you can be competent to, to practice in this space.
2: Yep, I agree. So there are a lot of different opportunities and different ways that we can have uh, juniors associated in, in sort of the, the derivative documentation and, and regulatory side that I handle. So just some examples. Um, of things, uh, ways that juniors can be involved. One is, you know, we spend a lot of time marking up the documents and contracts that we review, um, engaging in negotiations with counterparties, and so they're great opportunities for junior associates to um, observe those negotiations. We certainly don't, you know, sort of send people out into the trenches from the very beginning, but, you know, you can spend um, time, you know, just participating in those those calls and meetings and, and observing how that goes. Um, We also, in my group, review disclosure for fund clients, for example, and so we'll look at the way that the fund discloses to its investors what risks are associated with the fund's use of derivatives, and so um, we always, you know, need help with that. Um, We also have regulatory and research questions. Um, We, you know, often will get questions from clients about you know, there's this particular term in, in this contract, like what have you seen other clients get or, you know, what what should we ask for here? And so sometimes we'll have folks sort of take a look at other similar contracts that we've negotiated for other clients. And obviously subject to any confidentiality issues, we can talk to clients about, um, you know, what we think is a, a good term to ask for. Um, I always like to tell new people in this practice area that, that the derivatives practice is as like learning a foreign language, right? You're learning about, um, you know, these financial transactions that most likely you didn't learn anything about in college or law school. Um, And then you're learning all these contracts that we spend time negotiating. And it can be really intimidating at the beginning, but that's one of the things that I really love about this practice is that every day I'm coming across new issues, I'm learning new things. Um, you know, learning more about the standard contract that I spend a lot of my time negotiating, um, learning new things about it. And so, um, I really encourage people to, you know, give it a try and see what they think and, um, sort of stick with it for a while because it, 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 there's a fairly long period of time where you feel like you have no idea what's going on. And then, you know, slowly over time, you'll start to say, hey, I've you know, heard of that before. I know what that means. And, you know, it just sort of takes a while to learn. Um, and one of the great things about the derivatives and commodities practice is that um, associates can have this as part of their practice, but not their whole practice. Um, Jeremy and I, you know, devote our whole practice to derivatives and commodities work. Um, and there are other people at the firm that do the same, but there are also a lot of other people who do some derivatives or commodities work as part of a broader asset management practice. And so it's a really great skill set and knowledge base to have. You know, while I never encourage anyone to leave the firm and go on to other things for folks who eventually want to go in-house, it's a very, very valuable skill set and knowledge base to have. And so I I really encourage people, even if they don't, you know, look at this practice and think it's something that they want to do, you know, all the time for the rest of their life, that it's a really great area to incorporate into your practice um, just for your own development and potential future opportunities.
0: Yeah, I, I
1: agree. And just, just to kind of add a little bit to that, um, you know, as, as Molly said, you know, she, she learns every day something new. I, of course, learn every day uh, you know something new. Uh, but, you know, what else is really cool is, is, is this area of law is changing. All the time. So there are so many opportunities for new attorneys to come in and practice in this area. Uh, And I think that that's really fun. You know, these days, um, a significant portion of my time is spent thinking about issues uh, with cryptocurrencies, right? And that's just something new that that came up over the last couple of years. Um, There will, I I just find every day there's something new that's coming about. Um, And so there's absolutely an opportunity for. people to come in and and practice in this area um you know one of the things that i did uh when when i was uh just learning this space is i did a lot of non-billable work i know that that's not fun to do but you know i did a lot of that knowledge management stuff i wrote client alerts and things like that and that's how i really started to learn this in addition to doing you know the day-to-day work um you know i know that that that's something people don't really like to do but i i do think it's it's super helpful um the other thing I, get, I can say about the uh, the derivatives negotiation side is it really helps you uh, learn how to read a contract and to negotiate a contract like nobody's business. Uh, even though it's not like a key piece of my practice anymore, and I don't I don't do you know do it on a day to day basis. My goodness, that taught me a lot about contract negotiation.
0: <laughs>
1: so I, I just as Molly said, I, I think that these that the derivatives of my practice is certainly one that you can that any associate can add to. You know their asset management practice um, more broadly. Yeah,
0: interesting. And I think one of the important features that you both highlighted about learning every day and, and sort of how that really plays out for more junior associates is to keep in mind that no one assumes that you come in sort of knowing all the knowledge that there is to know, right? I think that's a struggle that people have when they're junior associates where they mm-hmm. have this panic, like they should know something. And most people come in, uh, I would say, more along the lines of Molly's background, right, where they have mm-hmm. no real background in the practice area, no real understanding of the group. I work quite regularly with private equity funds. I'm not sure now in my practice, I'm not sure that when I joined the firm, I could really have explained to you cogently what a private equity fund was um, because I just never learned it in law school and no one in my family does it. And you know. And I think the the theme that sort of came up from... Other conversations and this one as well about people just sort of being smart but patient and understanding that, you know, no one has the background coming in on day one um, means that you have the freedom to explore practice areas like commodities and derivatives where, you know, there's a lot of, of background knowledge required at some point, but no one expects you to have it on day one. And you can really build up your expertise through experiences. Um, and then become really a uh, uh, subject matter expert in quite a short amount of time. Uh, yeah,
1: it, and and one thing I'll add to that is that I actually have a lot of fun um, interacting with, with more junior associates and, and getting their thoughts on, on you know some of the issues that come up because you know they're approaching this from you know this area of law from a completely different paradigm, right? Like they have not been uh, ingrained you know in the day to day of this work for you know the past decade plus, whatever, um, you know, like I have. And so I really appreciate that different perspective and it, you know, sometimes it makes me take a step back, look at it from a slightly different angle and, you know, it sort of challenges my, you know, the, my, my belief system. And, um, you know, I really appreciate that. And I think that, uh, I, I, I found that when I was starting that, that there were others who, um, who enjoyed that, that back and forth as well. And I think that that's sort of across the firm. People do appreciate hearing a different perspective uh, on things. And, you know, that's how we all
0: continue to learn. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, maybe just so we could get to know you a little better, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you like to do in your spare time?
1: Well, in my, in my spare time, um, I enjoy um, hanging out with my, my, my wife and, and my dog and going to restaurants uh, here in Chicago, and I love to travel. I, I enjoy working out because it keeps me sane.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Jeremy does some really amazing trips. So uh, I am uh, fortunate to live close to the water, and we are definitely water people in my family. So we spend a lot of time um, going out on the boat and going to the beach. Um, That's pretty much how we spend most of our time on the weekend. I have uh, two young children and two yellow labs, Um, so we've got to be out of the house a lot because that's a lot of energy. Who's more work? It's just all of them as a group. They're a lot. Um, and I also really enjoy um, cooking. And so, um, you know, we, we love to cook meals as a family when we can. And, um, and we've certainly gotten a lot of practice cooking at home over the past 18 months.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sh- I'm sh- it sounds like you had uh, uh, lots of opportunities to take advantage of the uh, interests that you have, but Jeremy's uh, travel interests were probably slightly squashed. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully in the coming months, things will uh, continue to improve and you can, you can get out on some more travels. Well, Molly and Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights into the commodities and derivatives work here at Ropes and & Gray. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you found this to be helpful there's a specific practice group or area you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please reach out to me directly. I'd love to hear from you. If you're a law student or a recent graduate who would like to learn more, please visit our website at ropesgrayrecruiting.com or check us out on Instagram at, at ropesgray. You can subscribe to this series wherever you typically listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please look out for future episodes and share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. See you on the next episode.